here with Isabel Sandoval out in Brooklyn. I am still in Mexico. I just re-upped for another month by the ocean. Wow. Not mad at all. But your place is pretty beautiful in Brooklyn. You're in the place that I saw, right? Yes, I am. I love that hey, house. <laughs> Thanks. I love it too. Um, although I'm going to be out of state, I'm going to go to North Carolina for the month of June, actually. That's cool. Isn't um, have, Jordan there? Um, he's in, isn't he upstate, like near Albany? I could po- I could Buffalo. totally have it wrong. Maybe I'm mixing people up, but I felt like he yeah. was in North Carolina. I might be mixing people up. Okay. But, um, okay, so what's yeah, in North I, Carolina? I, I, um, I have a really good friend there who moved there with his partner about eight years ago, and they've been asking me to come visit them, you know, since. I've only visited them once about five years ago, and they wanted me to come back in the last few years, and now I feel like, you know, this is the perfect <laughs> time to do that. That's so, so cool, I'm yeah. going to be there with them for, you know, a few weeks to a month. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, like, you'll get a little bit of a taste of what I've been doing. This, like, going to a nice, like, secluded place and not having a schedule, not having, like, 50 things, you know, I, I, I know you well enough that like you get, you always have stuff going on. And of course you're like, you'll still have calls and stuff, but like uh-huh. this space is really, it does something to you when like you can start reading and like, just, you know, genuinely commit to the book for a while, like yeah. for, for half a day. And like, not worry about like, oh, I've got to keep looking at my watch for my 3 p.m. Like, it's awesome. Exactly. But I also, you know, have experiences and I've seen on social media that other people experiences as well, that it's, you know, a lot more challenging and yeah. difficult to concentrate. You know, like, I feel like my attention span is also in a way a little shorter for some reason. I think yeah. maybe it's because I'm in the epicenter of the pandemic you know yeah you probably have a lot on your mind beyond like your you know it's it's an existential threat outside your door constantly yeah and it's also you know just being on lockdown i guess you know people experiencing cabin fever Mm -hmm. that might be it and that's also part of the reason why i wanted to just get out of the city for now um you know now that it's getting warmer and it's officially summer is it officially More, summer? I don't even know like what in, year it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're about a week away from Memorial Day weekend. For me, it's been between like it got, um, it's funny, someone messaged me today that like she heard it got cold here. She's referring to 75 degrees. Um, oh. It's between, you know, it, gen- generally I wake up, I leave my doors open when I go to sleep. And mm-hmm. so I sleep like with the wind and the ocean. Um, and it's 77 degrees, like at its bottom. And, yeah. uh, most of the day is around is 81 to 83. And then in about an hour, um, four 45, you know, that, that time of day, it gets to like wow. between 84 and like, I've seen it hit 87 once. 
but generally 83 minimum at 445, usually like 85. And um, that's it every single day for now I'm, I'm, I'm going on three months. Wow. And how close are you to the water again? Um, I mean, if I turn the video, hold on, I'm going to just turn the video on for you to see. Okay. Can you see? Oh my gosh. Okay. Like that's the water. I hate like, you. Feet, <laughs> you know, uh, like I'm only, I'm only, I used to just, my first place was actually on the water. Um, but, uh, I, I moved up and I'm just talking like upstairs from the water. So I'm like yeah. 300 feet from the water instead of on the beach. Like my, my first place was a bungalow on the beach. Um, so I was right down there, but, um, now it, no, I just walked downstairs. It's a 30 second walk downstairs oh, wow. and, but it's, 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 I like it here more cause I have this insane. So I'm having people over for, for tea today for the first time because nice. now we're a few months in we've all been here for a while so it's like um you know it's, it's safe yeah. and um yeah so i'm like oh, man it's so grown up so it, in mm -hmm. mexico things are you know things are different like i can uh, like it, it, i i can hire like a chef and 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 like someone to come help me do stuff for like not a lot of money and it's actually good it's like putting money back into the local economy um, yeah. so like, I am so adult today. I have grown ups coming. I have kids. I, I had kids come to swim in my pool today. Like uh -huh. the, my, my friend brought her young children and like, I'm, and these are I locals. Just, well, they, they're owners of, of houses nearby. Okay. So they're, so it's basically like everyone is just like at their country house kind of thing. And they yeah. came to like do quarantine here. But, um, I just feel so funny that like, Cause I'm in, I'm in this house that is like, I could never afford, but mm -hmm. because of, you know, no one else can get here cause it's, it's quarantined and I was already here. I was just like coincidentally visiting and yeah. everyone else owns a house. And then this one was empty. So like, you know, I told her how much I can afford and she said, sure. And so I'm in this huge house and I can like entertain it's just, it's like something foreign to me. It's like I'm my parents, you know? <laughs> Wait, so how many people have you interacted with since you got there? I just started. So I, yeah, yeah. So I genuinely like did not, people were like, people who I spoke to at home were like, like my parents, my ex-girlfriend who I would talk to, like they were like worried because I was like really actually isolating like i didn't talk in person to a person yeah like for two plus months about a week and a half ago i like people have been socializing for probably a month and i've just mm. been like oh let me take a wait and see on that and i just started about a week and a half ago and i've probably you know 10 people but they're all people who have been here for a while. So like I had lunch at someone's house. I, they, you know, I went to the, to like a, another beach that's like further uh -huh. away, like in a, in a car okay. with other people. I yeah. did that. I did a one lunch and one beach day. And uh -huh. now today was the first day that I've invited people into my home, but only specific people. It's not like, Hey, come okay. to Sean's house. Like it's like these six people are invited. And wow. Okay. So I'm still I'm still being cautious, uh -huh. uh, but 
I know that these people are safe, so I'm cool with them. But yeah, but I'm super isolated <laughs> for three oh, months. Cool. So how'd you get your food supplies? I mean, are they all just delivered? I have. Or? So there's a few restaurants nearby that are open, just open mm-hmm. for delivery. So they stage it okay. with like this part of the day, like each restaurant has like one day off and then, and like one opens when the, like one, yeah, one opens when the other closes. So one will do lunch and one will do dinner. It'll be like that. And then I get mm-hmm. my chef to come from town uh, every like two, three days. Um, cool. And like, I generally eat that. That's the safest way. Cause you have to have some risk. Like I can't just stock up for three months, you know? So I have to like, yeah. So she lives like very close by. She does the shopping for me. I figured it's like safer for someone to do that for me rather than me to mm-hmm. go back and forth. And I also don't drive. So, um, yeah. So I generally, she cooks and she's here and she's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and the food is like insane. Like I'm eating like incredible food every day. And, um, great. And then I, I get delivery like, here and there when I just like feel like that specific dish from that place. But most of it is I just make in my kitchen and I'm pretty like, yeah, I just stay here and I go to the beach and that's it. My beach is right next, you know, it's right, uh, right below my house and that's it. And that's my life. It's weird, but it's, it's awesome. Why would you ever want to leave there? I just (laughs) re-upped. I I just like, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just set it up for another month. Um, you know, I was talking to my family a couple of days ago and it was like, you know, like the reasons I broke down the reasons of why I would come back. It's either New York, yeah. Los Angeles or Miami or like my options yeah. that would make sense. Um, mm-hmm. Miami would really just be because I'd be in the United States rather yeah. than Mexico. Um, but I'd still like be in the middle of nowhere, but I was just like, I don't want to go to Miami, like to sit in, you know, to rent an apartment for a bunch of money. And like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do anything there and the oceans will probably be closed. So I won't really be able to swim and won't be healthy. New York. Like I'm scared to go to New York. Like I don't have to be in New York. I can't work in New York. So why? Like the only reason would be to get health you know, to, to, to like go, to, like, I need to go to doctors for my own, for like my skin stuff and whatever, but mm. like whatever, you know, like I'm not really going to get treated right now. They have bigger right. fish to fry and then I can go to yeah. Los Angeles, but like, and thinking about that would be that I could do sessions and I could maybe develop my film and stuff like that. But like, no, not really. Like that, that's crazy. That's not going to happen. So yeah, I'm just like, why don't I just stay here? And it's been lovely actually socializing, like the little socializing that I've done has just been, you know, I mean, you know me well enough to know that like, I don't get along with everyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I've like really liked everybody that I've met here. And I'm like, my mom was like weirded out by it, by me telling her like that, like people are so nice and this woman like met me and then sent me like a care package of of like things that she she guessed I was missing from New York she sent me bagels and stuff from another town like she was like nice. she was like two towns away and just got me all this stuff and like for no reason unprompted <laughs> people like people can be nice it's great 
That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll come visit you then. No, I got it's going to be super bedrooms. hot and humid there. Next month, it's going to be like the Philippines. Oh my God. It's going to okay. be rainy. It's, well, it, it, it rains supposedly like one third of the time during rainy season. Rainy season really okay. is like August, but it's going to start mm-hmm. a little bit July. And uh, it's going to be hot, I think. Okay. It's going to be super green, I'm told. Like, yeah, it's like right. the whole foliage is going to change. It's pretty green right now as I'm looking at mm. it. I don't know. But yeah, I have four bedrooms. So. And okay, so you're in exactly what town again? It's called Correas, and it's Stop. on the ocean on the western coast, not the peninsula, not Baja, between Manzanillo and Puerto Vallarta. Okay, spell it. <laughs> C-A-R-E-Y-E-S. Costa Correas. Okay. In Jalisco? Yeah, right. in the state of okay. Jalisco. And it's re- we're really, like, we're okay. in such good shape because the, the governor of Jalisco is, like, is the best. He is the one importing testing importing masks stuff like that so like our state is Mm -hmm. like safer than others specifically our town is ridiculously safe because this is like whatever i'll just say this is like this weird rich people utopia that was built by uh this italian family in the 60s and it's Mm -hmm. this beautiful architectural like artistic architectural landmark with there's tons of art here there's festivals here and stuff um but it's very small and very isolated and like there's security checkpoints to get here so like anything that goes wrong in mexico we're going to know about long in advance and if there's a food shortage or anything like that jalisco is one of the biggest uh agricultural um you know producers in the in in the country so they do 11 percent of the overall food for mexico Mm -hmm. Most avocados and most tomatoes, I think, in the world. So, like, we're gonna we're gonna know that shit is hitting the fan, and it's gonna like it's gonna hit the fan here last. So, like, if we really have to get out or something like that, I'm gonna know far in advance, and we're gonna be super protected. So it's it's like we're just it's it's a really good place to be. I got ridiculously lucky. Awesome. Anyway, we could talk about other things. <laughs> <laughs> but what's so so Brooklyn has been I mean, what? Like a little how, how has it felt to you? Has it changed? Has it like has there been stages? Um, you know, people are definitely wearing, you know, masks. Mm-hmm. And trying to, you know, do social distancing. I haven't really, you know, ventured you know, a lot out, especially because, you know, we're supposed to be sheltering in place. But, you know, in the last few weeks since there's been the curb has flattened mm-hmm. in New York City and the weather, you know, it's just been getting warmer. So people are venturing out more. Yeah. But so, you know, things I are looking up, I think it's Good. not as morose and as um, bleak as it felt when I flew back from Europe in mid-March, for sure. When did you get back? Um, I got back 
like March 17th. Like I was there in Paris so, for wow, okay. the premiere of my movie. Um, Brooklyn so, Secret, which is lingua franca yeah. for the rest of the world. But in France, it was distributed yes. as Brooklyn Secret. So tell me about that period. Yes. So Mar- I flew here March 10th and it was like March 9th, 10th, 11th when everything went crazy. When was your premiere in yeah. Paris? Um, my premiere was March 15th, but like for the first weeks of March, I was really traveling a lot. Like wow. I flew from New York to LA for three days for a film festival. And mm-hmm. then I flew from LA to Lyon in France for another film festival. And then, you know, flew to Paris overnight to do an interview and then went back to Belgium for another three days and then back to Paris again on the weekend before the opening of my film. So I was in Paris, back in Paris, Friday night. I think that was like March, March 12th or 13th. Okay. And so my movie was supposed to have its premiere, red carpet premiere on Sunday night. But on Saturday night, you know, there was like news that yeah, that's by Sunday, all the restaurants, yeah, restaurants, cafes, movie theaters are going to be shut down. And so, you know, people were just scrambling. And then by Sunday, you know, it was announced that the city is going to be on lockdown on Tuesday. And so the following morning, I had to, by Monday morning, I was looking for flights back to New York. Right. And by Early after, literally three hours after I was, you know, being driven to Charles de Gaulle. And I was, as I was being driven to the airport, you know, military tanks were literally pulling into Paris. So, <laughs> so you got out just in time. Yeah. And um, here I was supposed to stay in France until the 22nd and from there go to Prague for another film festival and then from Prague to London and then back in the city by it's like you're a DJ you're just bouncing you're you're living on planes I was talking to Scuba a a DJ Mm -hmm. like a UK based and Berlin based DJ the other day his episode will go up one of these you know this week um yeah yeah, we were talking about that that life and and you've you've been living that life since uh what september of 2019 or that that was the that was the beginning right venice um yeah yeah venice so you've been like on planes at events at festivals what what's it felt like You've premiered films since, you know, you've been at, fest, I think, what, Locarno 2010 or 2011 was like your first? 2011. 2011? Yeah. I played at Locarno, Vancouver, you know, Busan. Um, but This know, is Lingo different Franca, though, right? Yeah. Lingo Franca is my third feature film and it's so far been the most widely traveled. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, you know, it premiered in Venice and then we went to London, Hamburg in Germany, Busan in South Korea, Poland, Hawaii, you know, LA, Palm Springs, um, and it's Stockholm in Sweden. So I think 
of the International Film Festival. So it's been invited to. I went to about almost half. And the festival wow. seemed to pay for everything. Like flew me in and put yeah. me up. But you know, some really nice hotels. I'm really, really grateful for the chance to be traveling with a film. Yeah. So talk to me about it. Like, what's it like being on that circuit? You know, what have you learned? What have you, what's been like, yeah, what have you seen of the world, of the film world, of the arts, Europe versus America? I don't know. I have so many, so many ways to look at it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my main takeaway from the whole experience, especially of making the movie, was that I feel like I've kindly, I'm, finally coming into my own voice and sensibility as a filmmaker um, because I think for the first two features the titles were Senorita and um, Apparition I felt like I would just wanted to make films that were different mm -hmm. from the rest of Philippine cinema you okay. know it was like the typical or conventional, like melodramatic, loud, um, very obvious and formulaic. So what was remarkable about Senorita and Apparition was what they did not do, I think. So it was more the restraint and the subtlety um, and how they were such reserved. Yeah. Yes, austerity and how they were also very reserved films. Um, like with Apparition, it felt very Bergman-esque, you know, and there were also, you know, Michael Haneke was also a major influence for me. Um, Senorita was kind of a love child of Wong Kar Wai and Almodovar in some sense. So it was really, my first were kind of homages to directors that were, you know, major inspirations for me because, as you know, as a budding filmmaker and cinephile, I never went to film school. So my film school was pretty much, you know, exposing myself to as many different kinds of art house cinema that I could um, get my hands on. And also How did you just go learning about that? on set. Not, not to divert you much, but art house cinema, mm -hmm. so, you know, in the Philippines, like w 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like, uh, how do you, how'd you find film? Um, you know, growing up, I didn't really, like, as a kid, I really only was exposed to mainstream slash studio Filipino films, you know, and right. almost always the most popular ones were kind of ripoffs of Hollywood shtick, you know, so... For example, if there's like a big budget, like Three Men and a Baby, I think, in the late huh. 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. Or Look Who's Talking. So right. there would be Filipino kind of rip-off movies based on those um, titles. Like um, Titanic, for instance, there was a comedic, you know, boat disaster movie. <laughs> for some reason, they remade it as a comedy in the Philippines. But yeah, and then I think my first brush with art house cinema was when I graduated from college, really. Um, so I, I was born and raised in Cebu, which is the second largest city in the Philippines. 
but after graduating, I moved to Manila because I was offered a marketing job at a you know, like multinational corporation. So it was in Manila. There were a lot of pirated DVDs. Like piracy was, you know, very very rampant mm-hmm. at that time, and they were selling stuff by Fassbender, stuff by Hitchcock. Ooh. You know, yeah. <laughs> I still remember like the very first Fassbender DVD that I saw being sold, and they would sell them out in the streets. Yeah. You know, they would set them. Wow, up that's and, so crazy seeing Fassbender on the street, like. Yeah, I mean, they had titles like Beware of a Holy Whore. Um, huh. And they had this Marlena Dietrich. Um, didn't she have a movie called The Blue Angel or something? Yeah, Blau Engel, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and movies by, you know, Kurosawa, Mizuguchi. Cool. Yeah, so it was just like, you know, I was in a art house candy store, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. That it's funny. I was talking to uh, Mariana Di Girolamo yesterday from Emma, mm-hmm. who was also at, at Venice, and we were um, we were talking about like uh, you know how to watch certain things, and I was like, I've heard that you know there's these uh, these websites that you could you know. <laughs> I was like telling her how to watch a certain film, and uh, yeah, you know, basically just directing her to the torrent and explaining how to use the VPN to get the torrent and all that. But I was like, I was kidding around of being like, people have told me that they have done this, you know, I don't know, but I've just heard rumors. Like, (laughs) but yeah, like piracy is, you know, in a crazy way responsible for so much great art. Exactly. But also, I mean, the only reason I also, you know, got into the pirate TV is because you can't really find these titles anywhere in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they would only theatrically release. Just, that's it. Yeah, and you know, they would only release like you know, Julia Roberts movies or right. You know, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Nicholas Cage, like Broken Arrow or The Rock. You know, and yo, The yeah, Rock so is amazing, would, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've never seen it, but you know, there's only really a handful of art house titles that get. Um, commercial release in the Philippines. Like I remember seeing Dancer in the Dark, for instance, by Lars von Trier, cool. and which was one of the movies that you know really left a really, really indelible impression on me. And it's one of my top ten films of all time, actually. But yeah, well, that and Dogville by von Trier. Um, I love both. They're just such, both of those films are such great examples of just like, you know, idea cinema that like the movies come from this formal use, like this pushing forward of the medium of film beyond. Absolutely. On this ring. Let me just, let me just like hang it up. I just, I just don't want it to ring on the phone. One second. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just like what I love, what, you know, Von Trier at his best is when he's just like Dogville and Dancer in the Dark are these examples of just like a guy having an idea of like, what if a film 
like that existed. And it's, you know, the story doesn't necessarily lead. It's more the formal exercise. And what comes of it is a story that we haven't seen before. And, you know, the way that music is intertwined in Dancer in the Dark, I think like Annette will probably be like the successor, like the only successor, the new Leo Karaz film um, Mm -hmm. that... Yeah. I'm not allowed to say anything, but like, because we're recording, but like, I have so much inside scoop for you. Um, <laughs> I okay. like, like, I got the, I got the rundown. I got so much. Yeah. I have, oh, it's going to be so good. I'm so excited. I was, I was, yeah. I, I talked to some people who were, who were not, not just worked on it, but like made it. And, um, oh, it sounds so cool. But like, Dancer in the Dark is like using musical numbers in a way that, hadn't been you know music had not been used to express emotion in that way yeah. in film before exactly. and von Trier was like you know and bjork were like what if music expressed like the inner conflict and the inner dissonance with her space not this like transcendent you know whatever like it was a form of transcendence but not the kind of transcendence that music is typically using and just yeah von Trier, like whatever people want to say about him with you know his i mean even bjork literally like uh, called you know there's a lot yeah. of controversy about that that particular shoot but um man just like the ideas are so so beautiful and that was why i loved emma so much because it was a film made out of ideas you know yeah exactly you know um yeah it's funny because when i first saw emma in venice you know i was you know i was really jet lagged that time to say i slept through maybe half of it <laughs> so i just really you know, I was indifferent to it by the time um, I left the theater. But when I saw it again on May 1st, when movie did like a one-day right. free streaming, you know, I really, really got into it. Like, um, Good. the film connected with me. And I like how it's both, in a way, quite indulgent, but also very restrained and subtle at the same time. Yeah, and... I had a really funny Bravo experience. Too. What? I, I thought it was nonlinear the first time I watched it. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I remember I remember talking to you about it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think I probably saw you like right after and we like maybe went to another film at Venice. Yeah. And I remember like thinking I had like like, oh, it was such a mind fuck. And thinking, you know, describing the film to others as saying it's this nonlinear reveal of this huge moment, this huge revolution um, of choice for this woman. And then I watched it again, like like you on movie. Mm -hmm. And I realized, wait, no, the whole movie is linear. It was just, I was so in it. And so like in the dream that I thought I was watching a nonlinear narrative. And, and I spoke yeah. to Mariana about that last night and I was like, am I like crazy or like, did the film get recut or did I just like, was I just so in it that it's, I've never had that happen before? Yeah. You know, I mean, I like how you know, it takes a lot of risks and, you know, I think that Pablo Lorraine pulled it off, Yeah, you know, and um, said Mariana, she was spectacular in it. So, bravo to them. Definitely. Yeah. All right, we spun on tangents. We were talking about, you know, right. like art house and your education. Um, yeah. 
exposure to art house cinema originally through bootlegs uh, after yeah. you know, mainstream Filipino cinema. So, so, mm-hmm. okay. Continue, please. <laughs> um, I love yeah, the tangents. I mean, That's why I like, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you know, I mean, as an aspiring filmmaker, I, you know, I wanted to be taken seriously as a filmmaker and I felt like, um, for my first two features, it's really kind of, you know, like showcasing the directors that you were influenced by. And now I feel like finally I'm, you know, realizing what my own style and aesthetic is. And that's why Lingua Franca was kind of um, a big, kind of a, major artistic gamble for me as a filmmaker but in some ways it's also kind of um a compromised work I mean I'll explain it shortly but you know I mean here in the U.S. you know it's very identity politics driven I think um and it's a double-edged sword because I feel like as a filmmaker you know, people here are always going to see me like, oh, she's transgender, a woman of color and an immigrant. So the expectation is for me to make a movie, you know, that will center those facets of myself in the narrative. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And so I mean, we talked about this personally, yeah. you know, right away. Yeah. Yeah. And submitting, you know, the projects different grants you know these are the kinds of films that they would fund Uh from a director like me and so yeah I mean and we did get you know um, quite a significant number of grants and I'm very very grateful um, for the support that we've gotten but for me I also wanted it to you know not just be a straightforward social issue drama because for me, you know, I mean, I don't want the film to be predictable, you know, or just your typical message movie. Right. So I wanted to take a film that might sound, you know, social realist or neo-realist in premise and actually take it to a more surprising and unexpected place creatively. Um, yeah, and I feel like it's really the major fests abroad, especially in Europe, that are more receptive to that kind of treatment. You know, like Cannes, Venice, and Berlin. Um, it's funny because when we were making the film, I was telling my producers, so we're either going to premiere in Cannes and Venice. Like, I was just really, you know, you know, fuck it. <laughs> if I say we're going to premiere in Venice, then we're going to premiere in Venice. But, you know, when we got accepted, it still felt, you know, really, really surreal course like because we submitted to venice uh, we submitted to can at first like when we submitted to can we were still um in post uh-huh. really so we were doing um the sound mixing and we were still finalizing the score and i think we had submitted right after they you know right after the deadline for the director's fortnight we were going for a fort- director's fortnight because i felt like this you know i'm based on the kind of advice I've gotten, this would be um, best, you know, a, a good fit for Director's Fortnite. 
but I think also at that point they will likely have already chosen their titles plus there was already another New York City set trans drama in the lineup which is Port Authority which happened to be produced by movie a movie and Martin Scorsese so, oh, I didn't realize Mubi was on that. That's funny. Yeah, that's. The I, first... I saw that at Cannes also. Yeah, and we talked about it. Anyway. Yeah, I didn't like it. I don't care. It's my show. Whatever. Mubi was not. Um, they represented and... New York City in a really, really like almost. I felt like an outsider way. Like, like it was. I was watching it as a New Yorker and being like, "This doesn't feel like New York. This feels like it's made by someone who's not from New York," and it felt like a very. Uh, of course, yo, I am a like privileged, all that stuff, you know, cisgender, straight white male, blah, 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 all of that. But like, I watched it and I was like, I don't know, like, I feel like there's, you know, like kiki culture, like, I don't know. I was just like, this feels like this is, you know, the vice documentary version of it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, it just felt not that it felt like i'd seen I, I could see this on a youtube video it, it, it just felt like very run-of-the-mill portrayal seriously yeah yeah i mean i would still watch it anyway if you know i it was being shown or made available in the u.s just because i mean can did program it after all you know and i'm sure oh it's not it's not terrible it's just okay. like I don't think it pushes any like it just like it reminded me a lot of things and like even the the white guy in the mm. film is the white guy from American Honey playing the exact same white guy role as he did in American Honey and oh, okay it's just like yeah I literally watched this guy play this role in America just every part of it was like why and yeah. the answer is representation but we can do better. Right. And that's why, you know, you and I have, have connected. And that was like the first thing that I said to you was like, yo, I don't want to like make this about that. But like your film, like is just that, that the, the like I want, um, and now we're like skipping like all the way to, you know, the whole like further in the conversation. But like, yeah. you know, to me, the wrap up is like, don't make it about, you know, representing the issues and the topics, like make it about just like good art comes from diversity, period. It's not about like diversity for diversity's sake. No, diversity is valuable. And there yeah. are stories that can be really good when you shift things like take Lars von Trier, he shifts the form and mm -hmm. the story gets better. So like yeah. if we shift the person who's telling this narrative, the story gets better. It's not because someone is trans. Like it doesn't like, fuck that. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's a good story is a good story. And a well-told story is a well-told story and use that texture to, to make things. And I think that you did that rather than, you know, compared to Port Authority, which made a movie to show these things. They just took a bunch of things and put them together and wanted to represent him at Cannes, you know, and, and places like yeah. that. And like, right. I'm like, all right, cool. I know about all these things. Like, yeah, sure. There's probably people who don't and probably people who are going to learn about it because of this movie. But like, I'm hitting snooze, you know, that's how I feel yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And plus, you know, just the names behind the film, you know, yeah, I think, you know, made it easier 
to get into the kind line can lineup. <laughs> so for me, but like, it feels like your that, film has traveled much further than that one anyway. And um, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, it might just be my awareness of it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, but it, we got the invite from Venice and they told us that they chose for Giornata degli Ortori or formerly known as Venice Days, and they only program 11 features out of about 900 submissions, you know? That's so right. it was really a big deal. And it meant a lot to me that I was programmed at a Venice, you know, which is on the same tier as Cannes in Berlin, because I know that they chose the film because it's a good film, not because they're trying to also, you know, fill a certain quota, like, Venice, yeah, last Venice year. is famously, exactly, famously <laughs> anti-quota and exactly. controversially yeah. anti-quota, which I, you know, uh, I Venice is my favorite, not just my favorite film festival, it's just my favorite thing, period. Venice yeah. Film Festival is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> like, like that 10 days is my favorite 10 days of the year. I love New York Film Festival, the, the uh, mm -hmm. industry, press and industry, the two weeks uh, ahead where they do the private screenings uh -huh. in one theater and it's three a day and it's, oh my God, it's heaven. But and it's like 200 people and that's it. Um, uh -huh. And I've been doing that for like forever. But there is nothing like, you know, Venice is number one. There's nothing like Venice, the selection of <laughs> films, the people who are there watching a movie and then walking out like, like you and I met on the water yeah. after I watched your film. Like, right, yeah. that's insane. It was so uh -huh. cool. And yeah. Doing that every day is just like, oh my God, Venice is magic, city of dreams. I love it so much. And they do such a great job. And I've never read one of those statements, like all the controversy. I'm always like, yeah, you know, like I'm not going to be the one, like I'm not in a position really to weigh in, but like I, I side with them. Like I think, yeah, whenever Wait, I've seen Locarno? them, I love Locarno too. It's just, it's okay. right behind Venice. Okay. Uh, I'd say Locarno. So Locarno and you've been to is a few times, right? I've been to Cannes both for the festival and not for the festival. And it's wonderful. Okay. Um, it's just not Venice or Locarno. I enjoy, I'll take Locarno or Venice over Cannes only because I'm not selling films. If, 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 you know, okay. if you put me in a, in a year yeah. of my life where I'm trying to sell a film, I'm trying to package something. Yeah. I know that I'm going to have to go, do the meetings and mm -hmm. stuff and can is the best yeah. market ever. And I'm going to, you know, change, but that's a different thing when I'm talking just like I'm a cinephile and I love to go do this and be around certain types of people and watch these films and couple it with nature, you know, Locarno and Venice are, there's nothing like it. And, you know, Venice, I think people know, but Locarno is a little more, it would not, is significantly more obscure. Um, and, yeah, to give a little bit of the 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 pitch, like you know, six thousand people sit in Piazza Grande with the biggest yeah. screen in all the world. I I hear, and it's outdoors, and it's insane. You uh -huh. watch two films every night. Um, all that yeah. you could bike to everything. It's all within you know five ten minute bikes. It is gorgeous. You're on the sea, and you can spend. You can go like ten minutes north. And you can swim mm -hmm. in waterfalls and cliff dive. And there's uh, thermal baths, natural springs. I went bungee jumping. And I damn 
if you watch the opening mm-hmm. of Eye and you bungee jump off it, it's the tallest. It's the highest bungee jump in the world. Only exception is uh, in Macau, but they, it's like a more man-made. It's like just a tower that you just jump off of and then you get off. This is the, the uh-huh. tallest one where you, you, you dangle and then you have to get pulled back up and it's natural. It's like just off of a dam that's decommissioned. It's oh, wow. Totally cool. And yes, I love Locarno so much. Um, only reason why it's second to Venice is just like, you know, Venice has not just like Locarno. You and I talk about slow cinema a lot and we love, you know, Vitalina Varela, uh-huh. Costa kind of films yeah. like that. But like, you know, I, I love that. And I also love like Emma, you know, and, and Emma would never yeah. be at Locarno. Um, and that Emma is not even like, Emma is pretty obscure, you know, but. Mm-hmm. Emma is too mainstream for Locarno. So I love, you know, a breadth of films. Like I didn't hate Joker and I wasn't mad that it was at Venice. Like uh, yeah. you know, seeing First Man and Roma and The Favorite and stuff at Venice last year was cool. I liked that. I also liked watching the, you know, uh, what was the film called? The Banker, uh, The Anarchist Banker which was just like on a stage, sort of like Lars von Trier with two guys talking philosophy for two and a half hours, an Italian film. I loved that. That was a Venice too. That was more of a Locarno yeah. kind of vibe. But I, you know, I just like Venice because you see the biggest films of the year. It's, it's the only one that really rivals Cannes. Um, Berlin mm-hmm. gets one or two, but uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Locarno just doesn't get that scale. But mm-hmm. the, the je ne sais quoi, the mise-en-scene the, the you know the surroundings are like are, are equally magic yeah i love this absolutely stuff. i'm so sad that we're not going to do it this year yeah well i'll be at the carno attending the carno virtually for <laughs> here you can you can say it and i won't post until you give me the okay so you can announce this if okay. you want you know um yeah so my new feature it's called the working title is tropical gothic we can hear the siren. Do you hear the siren? I, I hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everyone, yeah. I'm from New York City. So that's so weird. So there's still sirens, even though there's no one on the roads. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, there. You know, people are out driving. You know, their cars for sure. Okay. And certainly more so in the last week or or two. Yeah. But yeah, going back. Um, so my new project has been invited to Locarno Open Doors, which is kind of their incubator program for so cool. new films and development. Congratulations. And from, thank you, um, from 2019 to 2021, their like, spotlight region is Southeast Asia. So countries like Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Cambodia. Um, are they had great Asian films so, last year, particularly yeah, Japanese were, and Chinese. I know about uh, the science of fiction. Yeah, they had um, uh, Koji Fukada's film, which was probably my favorite at, at Locarno okay. last year. And then they had Kiyoshi mm-hmm. Kurosawa's film, which, was, which also played at New York. Or they both played at New York. Uh, Yoko Gao was Koji okay. Fukada's film and Kiyoshi Kurosawa's okay. film. I forget what the, you know, the title, what they titled it, but it was so cool. It was really good. It was a 
total pivot for Kyoshi Kurosawa. Um, oh, yeah. Like it wasn't a horror movie. It was this totally different. But they do Asian cinema really well at Locarno. Okay, okay so who directed Happy Hour and Asako 1 and 2? Oh, it's... You know what I'm uh, talking about? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I know it very well. Uh, yeah. I forget the okay. name. Um, <laughs> anyway. Wait, I'll look. Yeah. Tell me, what what were you... What about it? Oh, um, but no, I was just uh, trying to remember the name, but... Oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking feature... right now. Okay. But keep going. I'll tell you in one second. Yeah, so my new feature um, is, has been selected as one of eight projects for the Corner Open Doors this year. Um, Hamaguchi. Dosuke Hama, okay, Hama, cool. Hamaguchi. Okay. And um, there are also, Locarno is also programming my um, second feature, the one that I made before Lingo Franca called Apparition. Oh, cool. Which uh, premiered seven years ago now. <laughs> but it premiered in Busan. Um, so now I've, I can say that I have had two features, you know, play at Locarno. My Love debut. It. You're a veteran. Senorita <laughs> and Apparition. Um, it's funny because Apparition, you know, it was, it's, you know, now that like the Philippine critics have been releasing their, you know, end of the decade list, it's considered one of the more notable Filipino films wow. from the last decade. Yeah. And um, in fact, in 2017, when the Museum of Modern Art did a retrospective of the new golden age of Philippine cinema, so they programmed Apparition alongside films by Lav Diaz and um, Liliana Mendoza. So I'm very proud of it. And Amazing. Yeah, I'm glad that it's, you know, getting revisited. So I have an old movie and a new upcoming movie and Locarno this year. So I'm very excited. And you described your pivot to, this is going back in the conversation a little bit, but you described your pivot to yeah. Lingua Franca. Uh, you used two words. One was compromise. I forget what the other one was. Uh, um, why? Why do you consider that a compromise? Um, just, you know, like coming up with, you know, a social realist premise mm -hmm. um, because it's the kind of project you know, that would feel topical and relevant and therefore would get funding you know from certain grants okay you know when you approach it from yeah. that angle but I also wanted to really you know infuse it with my own distinctive and idiosyncratic voice and yeah um it's been well received by some people like Kaye the Cinema. I'm very proud of the fact that my film and I were featured in the last two issues of Kaye the Cinema before the mass resignation of the current you know, editorial staff. Yeah, I had um, that as a note. I wanted to bring that up. So, what was that experience like? Um, you know, it was amazing. I mean, they usually really and maybe they, introduce a little bit because you and I know the context of that, but maybe, you know, a lot of listeners don't know the significance of Kaye and what just happened with them. Okay. Great. So Kaye de Cinema is the 
most influential, you know, film journal um, in history. I guess that's not an overstatement, right? It's true. I mean, the author theory was, was in- from Andre Bazin and Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc yeah. Godard. Like they, they invented it. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's Land where, Rene. you know, good. Godard and Truffaut and you know Chabrol, Jacques Rivette, you know, got they, their start as film critics before making their own films. And so, you know, over the years, you know, Cahiers de Cinema has kind of been the preeminent film journal and you know, like a tastemaker when it comes to art house cinema. And so, back in February, the current editorial staff. Um, you know, posted a statement that they were resigning en masse because uh, the paper, the, the magazine has just been bought by a group of businessmen and French film producers that want to turn it essentially into a PR rag just for French movies, you know, and so... That group they that had bought to, it is full of producers and directors. Yes. Um, yeah, so they just wanted to make it kind of like into a PR magazine, essentially, for new French film releases. It would be and impossible so, to not be biased because they're literally... It's the opposite of what happened at New York Film Festival where the uh, the the curator, the, the director, became started making his own films and resigned because he is yeah. going to continue making films and can't really be impartial. Exactly. Um, yeah, so the editor-in-chief was Stéphane Delorme. And so the movie is Brooklyn Secret was coming out in France in March. And, you know, no one tells Cahiers Cinema what movies to review. And if they do review something, you know, if they just like it a little or if they don't like it at all, they would do a capsule review, like literally just one paragraph, but if they like your film, you know, um, they do kind of a page long, you know, kind of like full length review. So when I saw posted on the website for their March issue that they did a full length review of the film, I was really, really excited. Um, they, They don't post their articles online, so they only release the table of contents online, but you have to get a print copy of the and magazine you don't to speak actually French, read the articles and the reviews. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so I saw that they gave the film a glowing review in the March issue. And for their final issue, which is now kind of a collector's edition and a bestseller, they did an interview with me. Um, Paula Raymond, you know, the a critic who wrote the review in the March issue, did an interview with me for the April issue. So I'm getting, you know, <laughs> both uh, both issues framed. It's very prestigious. Proud it's, about it's that. It's a huge honor. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, that kind of made me feel that, you know, my gamble with Linga Franca paid off in the sense that... Oh, gamble, that was the word. Took, yeah, that was the word you used yeah. that, I, that I, was, I was looking for. Yeah, because it doesn't follow a conver- you know a conventional treatment and a conventional narrative and style 
from the you know very social issue cinema favored by you know festivals like Sundance um, and South by Southwest, for instance, um, American uh, film festivals from minority filmmakers like myself, and so I, I talk you know, about it was this really all the time. Though, confidence. People make those art, those those movies. I, I call them they're like article movies. You know, they're movies that should just be articles. They're just statements. They're just like stories that it's like this is what it's like to transition and meet a white guy. You know, like and yeah. and you you know you made a, a movie that was personal and that was nuanced and that used text from other art that you, that you took in other films, you know, exactly. uh, compared exactly. to most films that you watch and at Sundance, which are just coverage films. That's it. Yeah. There's no art to and, like Sundance. Know, I mean, I wouldn't disparage Sundance too much. I'm sure they've all also right. released, you know, Oh, some, oh no! I went to Sundance films. for ten years. I love many, mm -hmm. many things at Sundance. I just, I think over the last yeah. chunk of years, as brands got involved and as Me Too movements, the, the like the specific Me Too movement and other movements got really um, part of the part of the zeitgeist, um, Sundance did an amazing job at capturing that, but at the expense yeah. of you know mm -hmm. art cinema, I think. So we get films that are important yeah. for a message, but that's not why mm -hmm. I used to go to Sundance. I didn't go to receive messages. I went to yeah. receive, mm -hmm. you know, to meet filmmakers and see their work. And that's not what I got the last few times yeah. I went to Sundance. I got messages and I got uh, people <laughs> wanting to party and, you know, brands looking oh. to advertise themselves and stuff like that. You know, it became more. Yeah. I became I mean, more of a DJ also, at Sundance. You know, the likes. <laughs> yeah, but they've also premiered the likes of the new Eliza Hitman movie, which is amazing. And you know, I applaud their efforts to you know push for diversity and representation. But I feel like you know, in Kaeda Cinema, my movie is not featured there and given a great review. You know, kind of a because of affirmative action it's a great movie and that's what they yeah. think and it's you know quite a validating you know feeling and it that tells me that you know what i have i have an interesting aesthetic and my sensibility is worth paying attention to and so that's really encouraged me to take even greater risks aesthetically and creatively with my next feature tropical gothic because you know, if Lingo Franco was kind of an experiment and a play on social realism, I want to make a clean and decisive break from realism um, with oh, tropical okay. gothic. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like, and my biggest learning, um, my biggest epiphany from making Lingo Franca is that, and this is to paraphrase Maya Angelou, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the audience is going to forget their characters, they're going to forget specific, you know, twists and turns in your plot and your narrative, but they're never going to go, never going to forget how your film made them feel. Because cinema, you know, like literature, literature is fundamentally an emotional experience. And it's really about kind of designing and creating an emotional experience uh, for your audience. 
And so I'm now operating from that um, vantage point that, you know, narrative is not everything. It's really kind of the dramatic and emotional journey that you're taking your audience, you know, with a film. And narrative is one aspect of that one. Cinematography, yeah. lighting is another aspect. Performance is, is also another aspect. It's how you marshal and you orchestrate all these individual disparate elements to have that emotional effect and destination that you're, you know, driving towards. Yeah. It's a great description of, of you know, filmmaking and art making. Uh, I'm excited to hear you on this, uh, you know, path because I know, you know, you and I have synced so much over artistic influences and, and you know, just gone deep on random camera movements of, not random, but like specific, like shots from some film that we both saw and just like talking for 10, 20 minutes about that, that camera movement and stuff. So I know that you have this huge, huge vocabulary cinematic vocabulary and artistic vocabulary that you've been, you know, you've been holding back in some of your mm -hmm. films. And, and you, you've asked me some questions about your films, about your work that, you know, sometimes my reaction, I want to just be like, yo, like, just go do that. Like, you're kind of like, I've felt from you this restraint that like, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand because like, I mean, you explain it articulately. It makes a lot of sense that like you're making the film that you know will like push things forward. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then when you get permission to push it forward more, you will. Um, and, and, yeah. you know, I hear you talk about things where like, I remember our conversation about the camera movements and we were talking about a door frame with, uh, with Eamon mm -hmm. Farron. Like we talked about that right off the bat and we were talking about the way that, um, that you blocked it the, the between yeah. the two of you interacting and you explained it to me and then and then you went into other influences like the Hanukkahs and the fast finders and stuff like that of those observational cameras and yeah. you clearly want to do more with that and I'm I want to see that movie I really do I think that'll be awesome Thanks. I'm excited <laughs> yeah I want to see you let loose on that. Um, yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, right now, I'm in an interesting position um, in my career in that my last movie has kind of, you know, gotten the attention of, you know, some of the major festivals like appeared in Venice. It was supposed to have a nationwide, you know, theatrical release in France. And we've gotten, actually, it, it was chosen as a movie of the week by the Art House of Cinemas Association in France the week of its release. And there's posters, there are posters of the film, you know, all over Paris. Um, and it's been yeah, there for the last few it's months awesome. because of the lockdown. The poster, by the way, is just your face. So like you're, you're all over <laughs> Paris. It's awesome. You're plastered everywhere. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, you know, Francis can pretty much. And, uh -huh. you know, I really want to be, you know, I want Tropical Gothic to premiere again, you know, at either Cannes or Venice, um, also Berlin. Um, and, you know, it's really, with Tropical Gothic, it's really my chance to kind of really, you know, make a bold swing 
you know, and they really just go for it because like in Philippine cinema, we've been in kind of neorealism mode for the last 15 years. You know, I mean, Brilliant Mendoza won Best Director in Cannes in 2009 for this film called Kinatai. And I feel like a lot of, you know, Filipino filmmakers have been making independent and art house films that are trying to, you know, get programmed internationally, aside from Lab Diaz, who has his own distinctive yeah. aesthetic. That's a kind of world, you know. So, are you going to make your Lucino Visconti film now? Is are you going to do your pivot? (laughs) Are you going to abandon the neorealism and I don't know, pomp and circumstance and sets and (laughs) cameras are going to go all over the room? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a secret for now, but it's I I know, um, (laughs) yeah, because I'm also open to the process of where it takes me. you know, I, I'm lucky in that as a creative, my problem is not to come up with ideas because I come up with so many of them and so many interesting ones, but it's a matter of choosing and committing myself yes. <laughs> to certain ideas and filtering out, you know, ideas that I don't think are going to work ultimately. So, yeah, and that's been my experience during this pandemic is that it's, been such um, a creative, you know, like blossoming. That's great. So a speak, lot of people have where been I'm getting blocked. a lot of inspiration. Cool. Yeah, where I'm getting a lot of inspiration. Um, last night I saw Gloria, the original Gloria by Sebastian Melio. That's so funny because we were talking about it, Mariana and I, last night. Okay. Because Chile. What, what you did know? you guys say about it? Yeah. Oh, just we were talking about. Uh, so she's super. You know, um, Mariana is like very, very, very much an activist in Chile, mm-hmm. and her like energy, her revolution, very much like apparent in her day to day life. And I was asking her sort of about like what the rest of the the notable you know international filmmaking uh, crowd in. Uh, and Chile is like, and we were talking about Sebastian a little bit and less about the art of Gloria. I was sticking more to, uh, you know, Mariana's own art, but um, acknowledging Sebastian as like, you know, as good mm-hmm. as it gets out there. And someone who's also um, okay. talked about how he volunteered to direct and organize the new constitution for Chile, um, which they're okay. trying to push forward. So like a huge, huge, huge thing. He's, he's apparently... Um, a really, really major leader in not just cinema, but life out there. And Gloria okay. is awesome. Yeah, but I mean, I was kind of, you know, not super excited to watch it, to be honest, because I thought it was a little, I mean, I thought Gloria Bell with Julian Moore was a little middle bro. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, now that I feel like you like becoming more. more open. Yeah, I think, you know, for the longest time, kind of my um, idea of what a good art house movie is, is that it's kind of more in the line of a Haneke, you know, that's kind of, or a Bergman, which is very austere, kind of, in a way, emotionally distant to a certain degree. But now I'm becoming more open to different kinds of, you know, voices and styles and cinema. And, you know, I, connected with um, 
the original Gloria mm-hmm. when I watched it late last night. You know, like I finally get you know, what makes good cinema. It's not as narrow and as restrictive um, a definition that I had initially given it. How did know? that shift from, from where to where? I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting point because you have um, the two. You know, you can literally reference the Julian Moore as well. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, just before, you know, before Lingua Franca, I thought like it was aesthetic and style as everything, you know, but it's really just a means to an end. And the, the end again is like kind of the emotional destination that you're, you know, taking your audience to. And, um, and you can achieve that with, you know, a multiplicity and, you know, an abundance of different styles and um, sensibilities. And, you know, that's, and Lelio had his own style, the Gloria, as long as it feels authentic and earned. And also that you're trying to approach kind of the matter or the question in an unexpected and unique way. Well, that's how it burrows into somebody. If you answer the question in an unexpected and unique way, it burrows into someone because they must reconcile Mm -hmm. that answer. They have to understand it. If you just feed it to them as expected. You mentioned, um, it's funny how much on the same, how on the same page we are because when I was talking about Sundance, and, and, and just to be clear, like there's always, it went from there's six or seven worthwhile films to see to there's one or two. Like I loved The Lodge, but literally like the one other show out of Sundance that I have, that, that I'm talking about, I was texting with Elika Portnoy, one of the producers of Never Rarely, mm-hmm. Sometimes Always, uh, Eliza Hitman, um, about I want to do an episode with Elika because we, she produced and starred in a film that I worked on in college. And now she's, you know, making really, really cool indie films and, and and Eliza. And that was like the one film this year that I really loved. Um, And, you know, there's, I'd say what burrowed, like the never rarely sometimes always scene is like that scene is like a holy shit scene to me. Um, Beach Rats was like the color black in the portrayal of New York City with these, these people, the way that she used Mm -hmm. shadows and for never really, sometimes always, it was the, it was the, the static. It was the camera, just the way she held it and the way she just um, fixed it for yeah, this person yeah. who was going to, and, and, and that character, she, she burrowed into me when that happened. And it was an unexpected twist okay. kind of cinematically. I felt that, 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 that was j- just taking like, and, you know, an example of, of someone answering that question in a way, like it was a gut punch scene, I felt, when, when she was doing the questionnaire okay. and never early, sometimes always. And it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I loved that sequence. Yeah. Um, I'm also looking forward to Minari, the one that won the, the Grand Jury Prize. Tell me about it. I don't know if I, I know. Um, it's the one that starred Steven Yun. It's a Korean American. Oh right. Okay. I mean, I read very little, drama. but I oh. read about it, and it got a great deal. Yeah. Or yeah. Okay. So, t- so t- tell me more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like a, 
write a passage story okay. about this kid growing up, you know, somewhere in the South, a Korean American kid. So, yeah. I mean, this is the star of not only The Walking Dead, but one of the best films burning. ever. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> it's, uh, I watched Burning just every chance. If like I was walking past a theater and it was playing and I had two, or two hours and 40 minutes, I went in and I, I saw it like six or seven times mm-hmm. in theaters. I loved it so much. And he was so yeah. good. So yeah, I can't wait to see this film. Um, I remember reading a little bit about it, but I didn't like... I didn't dive in, but I can't wait to see it because he's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And if you um, haven't watched Burning, it's like you have to you like stop what you're doing right now. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. Go watch it Burning Netflix, and watch yeah. Phantom Thread. If you haven't watched Phantom Thread, watch Phantom Thread. That's just general life, but yes. <laughs> Burning is, is so good. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and I'm sure Sundance is, you know, some more interesting titles this year and i it's gonna again, change i don't yeah. need to disparage like sundance and south by southwest i love what they do and um, i love that they showcase all these interesting filmmakers especially minority filmmakers and women filmmakers i love both i i went to you know i have, yeah. I have nothing but love for them i went to th- th- those were kind of my uh-huh. initial introduction into like the indie film landscape when i was i mean i am yeah. blessed to have gone to those really young like i went to south by as a teenager i went to sundance like maybe when i was like 20 and i went to both of them for over a decade and um i loved it yeah. like a lot of my relationships in film and my you know tastes were developed over those years but over the last, you know, it, it got different. Once the internet, once social media happened and everyone hears about everything at the same time, same thing happened with music festivals. You know, they yeah. got less interesting to those seeking out nuance. And that, that's what happened mm-hmm. for me. So, you know, it, it's like John Cooper, like I'll say, it, I'll say in the same sentence, like he did the greatest job ever. He did, oh my God, mm-hmm. incredible job. Like, but I have no interest in, in the thing that he created, unfortunately. And that's just for mm-hmm. me. It's like, it just happened that way. But I'm so thrilled. He's the great, I remember like knowing him when he was a junior programmer and he was awesome. And then when he got the job, I was so happy. And he took Sundance so much further than I could have ever expected. And same thing with South by Southwest with Janet Pearson. Amazing. It went in directions that, you know, I, I just, it's not for me, but that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. I want to go yeah. to Locarno. You know, that, that's where my tastes went. And um, yeah, like the Locarno program is really, really cool to me. Mm. Yeah, um, I think they're going to be there. Locarno is doing something different this year. Did you read about it? Uh, which part? I mean, I read Lily, Lily's like recent, t- 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 tell me anyway. Um, so they're not doing their, you know, usual festival programming with the main competition, right. you know, where they're launching new films, but they're doing a competition of feature films in progress to help them. Oh, right. You know, yes, so I saw this note. Yeah. So it's kind of, they're calling it um, Locarno 20. Let me just, yeah, but it's essentially a competition for feature films that are in progress and they're going to be awarding um, the winner 
they're gonna choose a winner that's kind of like their pardo d'oro, right? Mm-hmm. Their best picture prize with that's cool. Kind of a, a sixty thousand um, dollar cash for post production. Wow, which I think is a really really great initiative, and I don't think any other top tier film festival has done so far in this pandemic era. So they're really innovating and they're really adjusting to, you know, what's the impact that the pandemic has had on the international film scene and industry. So, yeah, and I'm happy to be part of the festival this year. Yeah, even that's in that team. Very really small way, yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I met a lot of them last year. Um, Lily Einstein, I, I hope I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. it right. I think it's H-I-N-S-T-E-I-N, Einstein. Um she like what what i credited yeah i I, uh, um just like you get this feeling like almost many of the programming uh, team at uh at locarno is female but it's not like it's different from the u.s in my the way that i receive it yeah in the u.s it's like the point is that like the future is female and it's all that at locarno they're just female and like yeah really good and that's it and it's like, uh, it's not yeah. advertised as like the first female programmer, like, and that's the whole thing. It's like, no, we have a really good slate. Great films. Yeah. <laughs> like, so they, they, exactly. they, they yeah. do it in a different way than the United States does it where it's all about like the PR here. And if they happen to get good films in, they do, but it's the PR first and the, you know, yeah. the film second. Mm-hmm. But Locarno's great, and and it creates a really great energy in the, in the scene. Exactly. How yeah. do you feel about uh, festivals now that you've done a lot of these rounds, and I think more in Europe? But but how, what's your take in 2020 outside of you know COVID outside of the virus effect? But U.S. festivals versus international festivals, Asia and Europe and wherever. Um, um you know. Of course, it's for me because I'd want to establish my name as an art, kind of like an art house filmmaker with some of some international reputation. (laughs) I think, you know, Cannes, Venice, Berlin is really the way to go in terms of premiering the film. Or, I mean, Eliza has done now that Berlin is apparently open to not just, you know, world premiere, but an international premiere for films in the main competition, just as, um, you know, both Kelly Weichart with First Cow and Eliza with her new one did at Berlinale this year. I mean, if you give them the chance, you know, if if I feel like the film might could potentially cross over to a more, a broader U.S. audience, you know, I would love to be able to premiere at Sundance in Berlin, but if it makes sense, you know, I mean, Cannes is, of course, kind of the top, you know, and it's aspirational for me just because I've been lucky enough to have a, have had a film premiere in, in Venice with Lingua Franca. And yeah, I want to hopefully be in main competition in Cannes at some point. It's like and getting the EGOT, I, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like you can only really do that by being, you know, a risk taker. And, you know, being bold and daring and really experimental. 
as a filmmaker. And I feel like, you know, both the critics and the audience at festivals like Cannes and Berlin are going to be more receptive to that than you just, if you just premiere, you know, um, elsewhere. Yeah. So I'd so, want to be, I'd want people to engage with the work aesthetically and not just for, you know, kind of the political, you know, points, you know, and boxes that the film ticks. So. How do you yeah. feel in that sense, the way that you've been engaged since the film came out? You're in also, in, you're, you're the star of the film. So you're in front of the camera as well as behind the mm -hmm. camera. Uh, how has that affected the engagement? And, and how do you feel being in front of the camera? I mean, transparently, like Isabel and I shot a film at the end of the year, that a short film that uh, we're both in together. And um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, how do, how do you feel in front of the camera now? Um, I feel, I try not to be self-conscious and I just try to focus on the fact that I'm portraying a character. Um, you know, I've had mixed reviews in terms of performance <laughs> in Lingua Franca, but I did actually, um, I, you know, Kaye, you know, praised my performance in the film and I actually did just Good. win um, the best performance prize from the top Philippine critics group over the weekend. <laughs> so, Congratulations. Um, thank you. It's like um, the Philippines New York Film Critics Circle, essentially. So they announced their citations for the best of Philippine cinema for 2019 last week. And so out of 30, 139 films in consideration, they nominated three films for best picture and one of them is Lingua Franca. And Lingua Franca is tied with another film for the most number of nominations. And it ended up um, walking away with two awards, including Best Performance for Me and Best Cinematography and Visual Design. All right, well. so that's gotta, that's gotta give you some confidence to get in front of the camera. I think you're great. Thank and you. And so, so do a yeah, lot of people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, and what's amazing is that like the previous winners of this you know, best performance prize, uh, like you know, the Meryl, Meryl Streep of the Philippines, etc. So, and cool. for me, for someone who didn't, you know, go to acting school and all that, you know, I just wanted the character to feel real and lived in, you know, and authentic. So, it's, it's really, you know, um, it's really a great feeling that it's being recognized. So, talk to me about Eamon Farron acting with him and transition to mm -hmm. Twin Peaks because I just want to talk about Twin Peaks for a little bit before we wrap. But talk to me about working with Eamon because um, we've talked about that a lot like separately, but I think you have, you have great perspective and stories about that partnership. Yeah. Yeah, so um, when we were, my producers and I were already thinking about, you know, casting. We had actually initially thought of um, this guy from Magic Mike, Alex Pettifer. <laughs> mm -hmm. So just because he did this movie called The Strange Ones that he made at South by Southwest. Um, I remember seeing and, the short and, yeah. and then the feature. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, it was interesting and he kind of fit you know, the profile of 
the character and he's it's so close though i don't want to give anything away but they would have been so the roles would have been the reveal you know would have been so close yeah with the reveal in that Mm -hmm. film i don't i don't want to say anything because i I don't (laughs) want to spoil someone else's film (laughs) so yeah he was he's kind of a name in a way um and he's also like with by doing strange ones we've seen that he's open to doing you know art house slash independent films um so made an offer but um he was not interested but it so happens that alex pettifer had the same agent in london as um amen who had just come from twin peaks the return and you know got some amazing reviews from his performance there so amen read the script and he liked it a lot. So he sent in a cell tape edition, actually. And you watch it, and we were blown away. So the, um, the agent organized a Skype call between me and Eamon. And I talked about the film and his character, Alex, in it. And we hit it off. So shortly after we made the offer, he was based in London at that point. Um, and we actually did not, you know, sh- we sh- that was, I think, the fall a year before we shot the film and we didn't actually meet in person until like two weeks before the start of the shoot you know and we just talked about the different scenes very briefly we did not we rehearsed quite a bit but we did not you know like rehearse extensively but you know we he pulled it off and I thought it was just phenomenal in the role of Alex. And so, yeah, I was very, very happy to have worked with him. And I would work with him again in a heartbeat. <laughs> nice. He's very professional and sweet and just a pleasure to work with. You know, the, the cast and the crew love them. I just did three episodes with different people from the Twin Peaks world that uh, coincided Ooh. with the third uh no i didn't do cast yet i'm gonna do that next but i did like fans the okay. founder of wrapped in plastic the initial fanzine john thorne i did bob and laura antone who are who live in twin peaks and bob has been like the local like authority on everything and he knows like mm-hmm. all the secrets and all the stories i went on i i he brought me around. We connected before I went to visit and he brought me around everywhere. And Laura yeah. is indigenous. And um, there's, uh, this is an episode, it's live right now. And, and Laura tells all these stories that you can correlate like the local uh, myths and legends and, and history, actual history of, of you know, the, the native tribes and how it correlates to the narrative of Twin Peaks. And uh, so Bob and I talk about like a lot of the, the shooting stuff, the like the secrets and like whatever else. And then Laura tells a lot of really cool stories of the indigenous population and their history. And then the mm-hmm. last was, uh, was Scott Ryan that, uh, that did the more, the, the blue rose magazine, which is the fanzine now. Um, and yeah, and I, I wanted to start with those because just how beautiful the twin peaks family, the t- twin peaks community is. And then um, like how enriching the experience of watching it was in 2017. Mm-hmm with all of them it was it was really cool so um so we go through all of that and and that was something that was really important and and influential to me and and yeah and i have like 
I'm thankfully like, like I know a lot of the people involved in Twin Peaks. So I, I want to do episodes with a lot of them also, but I wanted to do the first three devoted to like the community because they don't get to do those interviews, you know, like no one's calling, like, like they're the ones doing the interviews, but they are also orchestrating this incredible community that is, I would say responsible for getting another Twin Peaks season made, you know? Um, oh, well. And John was like the first fanzine period, like 1993. Um, like they didn't exist and it was an independently published. They did it for 13 years. Um, and wrapped in plastic and, and like that story you know now we think of the internet now we think of this stuff like nothing but back then like they had to like rub two sticks together to build it and you know it's i appreciate all those people so much yeah. um but i do want to awesome. get into all the i'll do the the crew and the cast at some point but i gotta stagger i can't make my whole show about this one tv show you know it's like people don't care that much but i do <laughs> i gotta diversify it yeah yeah i don't know you, you've watched you watch twin peaks right some episodes yeah. but i should watch the whole thing <laughs> you know you know you know what i think <laughs> i do well hey i would love we we got to do another one of these once the world comes back and once we have new new isabel sandoval films and we should do another one yeah. whenever my film like our, our film actually gets to be shown maybe yeah. September. like mm -hmm. oh my god i would be if everything lines up for that place that i won't even jinx it and mention but Oh my yeah. God, I'd be so happy. <laughs> uh -huh. um, yeah. But yeah, we would definitely do another episode and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully I'll see you and we'll have some tea. Yeah, soon. keep me posted and good luck with the submission. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I have to finish the edit. Hopefully in the next, like, I think I'll, I think I'll get it done before the weekend. And um, we'll Talk be soon. in touch, of course. And enjoy North Carolina get rid of those sirens Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god i will enjoy right. mexico <laughs> hey cool. thank you so much and and we'll be in touch thanks for having me all right of course bye take care bye